Welcome to The Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning. This is Papa Tom at the Father's Heart Talk Show. And I have with me, my guest is Whitney Miller from Lantern Rescue. And uh, before we begin our show today, with um, this is a continuation of another show that we had uh, previously on child trafficking, I want to share something that's personal that happened to me uh, earlier this morning, because I was dealing with some of the thoughts that um, Whitney had showed with me the other day, and they were processing my mind, so I was thinking about them, I was praying about them, and in my, my prayer time in the morning, um, I was talking to the Lord about this, and a lot of my emotions were tied up and wrapped up into the conversation. Uh, because this child trafficking area is so, so very disturbing to me emotionally. And uh, what the Lord basically showed me was a completely different look than I had, a particularly a completely different perspective. And then after he shared with me the whole thing, I remembered the scripture that he gave me. So I'll start with the scripture, which actually came at the end, and then share with you backwards what the Lord showed me. The scripture is Isaiah 55, starting in verse um, 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And what that scripture came to me at the end of the conversation was because at the beginning of the conversation, I remember I had a friend of mine named Dave Henderson, passed away a couple of years back, uh, I guess it was in 2020. But early in 2020, I remember talking about the vaccine with him and and uh, he was all upset about the children getting the vaccine. Um, there was um, a situation back in Fairfax County where one of the uh, schools, had, without the parents' permission, took kindergartners and brought them into, I think it was a drugstore, to get them vaccinated without the parents' permission, without the parents knowing about it. And it was a wrong dosage given to these kids. It's like an adult uh, dosage of the vaccine. And they all came down and got sick. So the parents want to know what happened and then discovered what happened. Well, when Dave Henderson found out about that, he went nuts. And he was going to say, I would gut those people. This is an emotional outburst. And I was thinking about his emotional outburst with that situation. And then I was reminded of what Whitney told me about the other day with this 18-month-old girl who was being abused. And it's just started turning my stomach. It's like in my emotions start raising. I wanted to kill these people. And I got all this upset with this thing. And then God spoke to me. And he said, some of those drug traffickers are my children. That they had been abused. Some of those Johns, many of them are my children. And they're caught up in this thing. So I don't want you to kill them or even think about killing them. I want you to pray for them, Tom. And so that is what really changed my whole heart and perspective that's in the heart of God the Father. He wants to love them and, and free them, escape them, or help them escape from this tragedy that they're caught into, that they're trapped by evil himself. Satan and evil has entrapped the drug traffickers and the child traffickers. He's also, the I guess you'd call them the Johns or the people who are the are perpetrating these atrocities on the children, they're caught in a trap. And God wants to set them free. And yes, it's important to rescue the people. And yes, it's important to hold people accountable. But we really need to go to the heart of the matter and for them to have a change of heart. And if there's a change of heart, when there's a change of heart, and there will be a change of heart, 
there'll be no market for child pornography. There'll be no market for um, the uh, child trafficking. There'll be no uh, market for pedophilia and all the abuses that we see because people will understand and that God forgives them and they can get the forgiveness of God and that will turn the tide. So that's the preliminary for our show today. And uh, I want to engage Whitney's insight into this and how Lantern Rescue has a different tact and a different philosophy, and a different perspective of how they deal with child traffickers. So with that in mind, Whitney, share with the audience. Hey, Tom. Yeah, um, I love that you, I love that the Lord convicted you of that. And, you know, while we're stepping on toes today, because <laughs> um, I'm sure that's not a very popular um, thought for a lot of people. It takes a lot to get there. But we also have to remember that, um, you know, the way the Lord views sin is not even the way we view it, right? We like to create a hierarchy of sins. And, you know, um, something like child trafficking in our minds would be at the forefront, um, at the very top of, you know, the worst of the worst, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not how the Lord views it, you know? And um, I, I just, uh, I'm going to take a minute and I just want to ask the Lord um, to let our words be a meditation of his heart today in this. Amen. Because I think that's incredibly important um, in, in how we discuss what we're going to talk about today. Um, you are right. In a lot of these situations, the abusers have been abused, you know? Um, and I think to some extent, our heart has to, there's got to be a level of compassion that we are equipped to, to provide people, all people, um, and even, even the people that are doing these terrible things to other people, we got to remember that, A, we don't fight, if we don't fight flesh and blood, right? That's, that's the first thing. So what we see in, in the action of these people is, tr is really, it's just a um, presentation of the evil and the spiritual war that is happening in that person's life. Um, and so we, ha we have to be cognizant of that. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that we do things a little bit different. And I will say, you know, you can look through our social media and sometimes all of us just in this office, we just sit here and we're reading these comments and they are, and I get it. I get the flesh side of this. I really do. I get the idea that, you know, our first thought is to, to just disseminate these people, like get them out of here at whatever the, the cost, whatever that looks like. And so these comments we read through just day in and day out are, are very, you know, um, let's throw them in an ocean and, you know, let's, let's feed them to the crocodiles. I mean, it just goes all over the place, right? That's, that is the initial onset idea of what people want to do to these bad guys. And I get it, but it's just like you just said, you know, Jesus went to that cross for all of us all of us in our darkest moments of life, he chose to die for us so that we would come to him. And so for us to go in and, and that's, this is why prosecution is an important piece for how we handle the bad guys. And we don't just pop off shots and, and, you know, kill them all, right? Like that's not, it's not the solution, right? We're just breeding more violence at that point. Um, but, you know, our guys, love the Lord. Our operators that are on the ground, they do love the Lord. And that has to be, they have to love the Lord more than they love their um, version of justice, right? Mm -hmm. Those things have to be the hierarchy, not the level of sin. That has to be the hierarchy. Am I serving the Lord first? 
in everything, right? And so in serving the Lord, you recognize you still have to serve people even in the midst of this. And so often our guys that are, um, you know, that's part of why we build these relationships with law enforcement is because that allows us to do devotions and all of these things and introduce them to the Lord so that when they find themselves in these situations, there is an element of, we'll call it compassion. It's, it's mixed with rage and anger at times, of course, you can imagine. But there's a level that they recognize that, you know, at the end of the day, there is a call for even the bad guys to know who Christ is, right? Mm -hmm. He, he is the ultimate redeemer, right? If we want to talk about the greatest redemption story of all time, and the beauty of that is, is he can redeem those guys. He can redeem the ones that are doing these, these things to these children. Are you saying to me that the love of God, of the Father, has Absolutely. to be greater than the hate that you have for the people that are doing this? That's right. And it says in Scripture, as you know, to love the Lord, uh, to love the sinner, actually, and hate the sin. And yeah. this sin is so heinous, it's hard sometimes to disconnect the sin from the sinner. And yet, yes. it's so important to execute what God's asked you to do. And with that, we need to close here for a second, Whitney, and we'll be back in a moment. Here we are with Whitney Miller, and we crossed over a very interesting bridge about the question of it's not against flesh and blood that we fight, but against the powers and principalities, principalities of evil. So our focus of our minds, right, more importantly, our focus of our hearts, mm -hmm. should be on loving the sinner, even though you're hating the sin. And it's so hard when these sins are so heinous and so despicable that we confuse the sin. And you mentioned to me uh, the other day, Whitney, that mm -hmm. um, I think 80% of the people that look at child pornography uh, become abusers. And then many of the people that are the abusers have themselves been abused. So in some sense, their victims are caught up in a trap with the powers and principalities of evil perpetrating on them and then using them to perpetrate more evil. And yet it says in Scripture clearly that it's light, it's the, it's the love of God that overpowers this evil and this darkness, and that the people who work for your organization have to have that perspective. To, to bring about a, a radical change, radical change in individual lives, not only to the saving of the children, but a radical change in the lives of the perpetrators who are the abusers themselves, the child traffickers on the one hand, and then also the their customers, if you call them that. Um, and uh, how the change of hearts at, at multiple levels need to be brought into place. So let's start with that. and, and uh, uh, share with the audience how you see that happening in your organization, which is different than other organizations for solving this problem. Right. You know, um, it's funny. It's not like we just hug it out. I will put that out there, right? Like, we don't just hug it out with these guys by any means. You know, there is still a lot of, um, of just anger and righteous anger that flows through our, our um, operators, right? Rightfully so, because of what they see. But again, it's that that um, that placement. Are we gonna place that above the love we have for the Lord? And and that can't be the case, you know. And our guys know that, and they honor that in what they do. Um, and so often, you know, like I said, we do those those Bible studies with the law enforcement that are going in because that is a hard concept. 
for people that maybe are not um, well adversed in knowing the Lord and knowing what spiritual warfare looks like. And so it's hard. That's a new, that's a new programming of mindset that has to kind of be initiated. And so in the, in our training processes, that is something we get to kind of talk through with our, um, or different people that we work with in different countries. So, um, and then when it comes to the bad guys, you know, it is the, the, the traffickers, the people that are the perpetrators that are in those moments and places, um, you know, it's not like we get to just always have a conversation right then and there. Um, sometimes the conversation happens once they have been detained and they are in a prison system. And um, there are ministries that are coming in to make sure they are receiving the word of God. Sometimes it's a Bible they receive. Sometimes it's it's a discussion that they do get to have with one of our operators. You know, um, it can look very different given the circumstances. Obviously, sometimes things are so quickly paced and and moving so quickly to, to get people in and out um, that we don't get to have, obviously, those conversations right then and there. But that is at the forefront of how we operate. And even in those those difficult places and moments where you walk in on certain actions, you know, I can't I can't promise you somebody didn't catch an elbow while they, you know, learned a little bit about Jesus. Right. They got hit with the word. But but there is that um, that component what we do, because that is the life changing and life sustaining um, answer to it all. You know, we talked a, bit, a little bit before about this concept of shame and how if people really knew who they were, mm. they wouldn't do this activity. Mm-hmm. There had to be so much damage to their identity that they, they, they couldn't have a concept of where they are. And we mentioned the process before of confusion, confused as to who they are, and then they commit these... Um, heinous acts and they have to feel shame about that and then shame brings on a tremendous amount of fear follows the shame and then they want to then the anxiety begins to develop you get sheer uh, shame fear anxiety and that leads to depression mm-hmm. and that leads to suicide i mean these these are all patterns of evil uh, the powers and principalities of evil play upon people's minds that lead them right down this track Mm-hmm. And it, it's shame from the child traffickers, the shame to the, uh, the perpetrators. Well, I guess you call them Johns. Is that the Russian that people use? Or? Yeah, that that works. That works. <laughs> that and, works. And then and then the poor children, the yeah. poor children feel shame, and then then they get uh, fear comes upon them. They don't know who they are. They've been abused. The effects of abuse bring shame in their lives. The fear that comes on with it, then the anxiety, then depression. And they want to commit suicide. You know, I, I can't imagine. It's hard, hard to imagine how you, how only by the love of God and the power of God that they can change a person's life to bring out of that. And the most important theme that the Lord has showed me from this morning, my conversation with him, is they don't understand mm-hmm. the power of forgiveness. The forgiveness of God is the thing mm-hmm. that takes the people out of that shame. That Because many of these people are being taught by evil that you've done something so bad, even God could not forgive you. Too far gone. And mm-hmm. Too far gone that even God can, and that's a lie. You can't possibly be too far gone that God could not forgive you. He can. Once you taste of that forgiveness, once you taste of the love that comes to the people, comes through forgiveness. The love of God the Father in these instances comes through forgiveness. 
And once they taste of that forgiveness and that God could actually love them, that mm. begins them on the process to completely change their hearts and completely change the person who they are. It's, not, know, it's not only salvation, but it's even beyond that mm. the process goes even beyond. Yes, it's salvation, but it's taking them past that. So often we're given the opportunity to exemplify that grace that allows them to see a glimpse of the fact that someone could love them despite their, their dark past, right? And, you know, I've seen it even in my life where, where you've got that unmerited, unwarranted grace that someone has poured out knowing you're undeserving of it. And that, that for that person that doesn't truly know the Lord or questions if the Lord could ever love them or forgive them, that is that glimmer of the love of a father, of a good father to them, you know? And yeah. I think that's, that's something that we get, we have the ability and capability as believers to share with someone every day, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I think sometimes we miss that mark. Sometimes we miss the opportunity to just be that that little little glimmer of grace in someone's life, despite whether they deserved it or not, right? And that that just that ignites that little thing that says, "Oh, that person smiled at me," you know, like that person waved, that person said hello. And you know, I think of the where we're at. Unfortunately, there is a bit of a um, a rise in, in drug activity. Um, And, you know, we have a lot of homeless people in our community right now. And I watch them. I watch them walk with their head down. I mean, I have watched them just walk down the the main street and I can see them sitting in a restaurant. I can see them and they just don't even look up. There's so the weight of shame is so heavy. Right. And and that's just like they're just they're taken back. If you say hello, Mm -hmm. they're totally taken back. Like someone's acknowledging me. Do you know me? Do you see me? Do you know what I do? You know, it's like, yes. And I'm still going to say hello, <laughs> you know, and we have to approach all people in, in every situation that way. So. I, I remember a story now that you've been talking to me about this, um, that I experienced one time in my life. I was involved with Promise Keepers and Promise Keepers. There was a uh, meeting in D.C., Washington, D.C., around the RFK Stadium, at a big Promise Keepers meeting. And then they had some of the people who had made larger donations go to a private lunch and they had one of the people that was the spokesman at the private lunch, a promise keeper stood up and he was a sergeant in the police force, the Washington DC police force. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about his son had been murdered and the son, um, they had a football team and his son and this person who murdered his son were both friends of each other. Then they were 14 years old and they up into 14 years old and they played sports together and he was the uh, uh, the coach of the team and he knew this man, the young man uh, closely and then when they got to be 15 or 16, I think it was 15 years old, they get involved in drugs and uh, the, uh, the boy's friend or his son's friend murdered him in some kind of drug thing mm-hmm. and he's a police officer, found out what happened and um, he knew the kid that, that murdered his son. And he had the grief as a father. I couldn't imagine what's happened that my son got murdered by the kid that I knew. But he came and approached us and said he uh, wanted to talk to the young man who killed his son out of this drug conflict that was going on. And he said that he knew the man didn't have a father. Yeah. And he said, I want to be a father 
to mm. you. I want to be, I know you didn't have a father. I knew the life that you lived. And mm. I, as grief stricken as I am, that you, that you killed my son, I want to step up to the plate and be your father. And I just brought me to tears. I couldn't imagine. It's only by the love of God the Father operating through that Father's heart yeah. that he could do that in that particular situation and not look at it for revenge or not look at it to take, uh, to take revenge against the boy who killed his son. And it's the same kind of um, process, the same kind of feeling, the same kind of... Uh, um, same kind of grace. It's the same kind of movement of grace in people's hearts that'll change this child trafficking situation. When people's hearts are changed, they will no longer want... They, once you find out who you are, once you find out you're a child of God, once you find out you're a son and daughter of God, you don't want to behave this way. You can't even think of behaving this way. And so the activity, uh, you press into the heart of God the Father and realize how much God loves you, then in that uh, reality, you find yourself in a much better place for um, you know, dealing with your life, and you could never see yourself doing that. And so the entire demand for child uh, sex or child trafficking, uh, child pornography disappears. It just goes yeah. away. It's like when the revival used to break out in every of these places, they used to shut down the bars because nobody would go drinking when the, when the revival shot came out. And we are going to pray before we end this program, Whitney, yes. for the outpouring of God's Spirit upon the borders and on these activities. Because when God pours out, when the Holy Spirit breaks out, right, you can't, you can, the whole environment changes, the, the frequency of the place changes. And that's what we need in America. That's what we need in the world to overcome this child trafficking situation, a breakout of the Holy Spirit. We'll be back with you in a moment. In my discussions with Whitney Miller, I realized that she is the mother of two young boys, a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, both yeah. sons. And the thought came across my mind is, given what she's aware of, of the evil that's in the world perpetrated by the powers and principalities of evil, how does that affect your raising a four-year-old and an eight-year-old boy? It is definitely... Um impacted it in a way that I didn't expect, maybe. Um, I think once you're aware of the evil that is in the world, we don't step into the fear of it, but we do step into discernment, right? Mm -hmm. And preparing your children how to handle that evil. And I think that is what um, I've really kind of I've focused. And, you know, the Lord prompted my heart in that when I was pregnant with my first child, um, to get rid of the fear piece, but to be able to, to raise warriors, right. In this society and in this world. And, uh, you know, a, a little backstory, my husband and I were not even, um, supposed to have children, uh, medically. That was something that we were told. However, I believe in a God that's bigger than, than anybody else or anything else. And so, um, we were prayerful, um, and the Lord was faithful. And we did end up uh, finding out we were pregnant when I was three months pregnant at that point. So <laughs> that was a surprise. But um, we 
the first thing we did is we set out to pray every week different attributes over our children. Um, before we knew their gender, before we knew any of that, we wanted to pray very specific things that they would um they would be and have, um, whether it be a spirit of discernment, a heart for missions, um, compassion, and warrior-like spirit. I remember praying that one specifically to have a warrior-like spirit to fight for the oppressed um, in the name of Jesus, not just for their own um, pride or sake, but in the name of Jesus. And that was something that the Lord gave me to pray over them. Um, I just got to join him in that uh, as he was knitting them together. So um, as they have grown, I've really worked and my husband has really worked to cultivate that in them. What does it look like to be a warrior as a child today? And more importantly, what does it look like to be a God-loving warrior in spirit as a man? You know, because that's what we're preparing them for is taking on this world. So, you know, the very first thing I would say is, is that prayerfulness has been incredibly important. Um, and we acknowledge how much it means to pray with your children and over your children. That's a gift that we're given as parents to do that and come into that fold with the Lord as he's mm -hmm. cultivating, and creating those characteristics in them. You know, there's an expression that says um, the best wine comes from grapes that have had to struggle. Mm. And what they meant by that was that if you could water the grapes too much and they have too much water, it doesn't turn out to have good wine. But mm. in a very dry climate, if the grapes struggle to get the water, they produce a much richer grape. <laughs> and I use that expression as an analogy, as a word picture, for when you weren't able to have children, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> and you were confronting life and saying, I know the Lord said to be, be fruitful and multiply, but we can't have kids because whatever the reasons were. And mm -hmm. so in your mind, you struggled through that thought. So then when you actually were able to get pregnant, the, the blessing and the joy of being able to be pregnant when you thought maybe you never were going to have kids produces a whole different perspective on your life. Now, when the children are born, and they happen to be sons in this particular case, mm -hmm. uh, knowing what you learned before, you're going to be extremely protective of them, right? From things coming against them. What yeah. Parents want to answer that question. Yeah. So, um, for, <laughs> and this is all because you really have to balance teaching them to be aware without teaching them to be fearful. Right. That is a very difficult balance in this sure. world today. It'd be really easy to say, hey, let's just stay inside and we're not going to go outside. No, you can't play in the yard because I don't know who might be half a mile down the road, right? right. Um, it's easy to go to that place, but I don't want them to ever be fearful because I know that that is just a foothold for the enemy to work. So, um, but some of the things that we do do, and this is something I think is uh, something all parents should be doing is we do ask hard questions, right? I can't eliminate every bad person in their life or every bad experience they may be, um, they may deal with, but I can, I can prepare them how to handle those situations. That is what I can do, you know? So um, in that preparation process and questioning, um, I will say when my kids went to preschool or daycare, one of the questions I ask them when they get home, and I still ask my four-year-old this, knowing knowing how wonderful and amazing his teachers are, I still ask things like, hey, who takes you to the bathroom, right? Who right. goes with you to the bathroom? What are they helping you with in the bathroom, right? Interesting question. It is, but it lets me With know. Detail. 
it, yeah, it lets me know, okay, what's going on, you know? So I think we can't be afraid to ask those questions. My eight-year-old, you know, as they get older, those conversations feel a little more um, like awkward, I guess is what we'll call it. But that should not stop us from having those conversations because I still ask my eight-year-old, hey, who were you, who was at your friend's house, right? Was there anybody else there? Hey, do, do you feel comfortable around their family members? You know, I want to know who's in the house. I want to sure. know, are you comfortable, right? Hey, has anyone ever said anything to you that just made your tummy feel weird? You know, like, did you just get that weird feeling like, oh, I don't need to be here? And also preparing them, hey, when you get that feeling, when you get that uh-oh feeling that like, hey, something's not right here feeling, it's time, to, it's time to get out of that situation, whatever it looks like. If you need to run home, if you need to, you know, whatever it looks like. And if you ever find yourself in a place where you can't get out of that situation, I want you to know you can always come to me, right? Creating that relationship. Yes, yes. Wow. Where they are not going to feel ashamed right. to come to you, right? We already talked about shame. And our kids learn it very early on, right? Other, you know, people in this world are cruel, right? No. The, the joking and bullying and those things happen really early in life for the kids. And so making sure that they recognize, hey, no matter what it is, and if anyone tells you that you can't tell me or you ever are, are um, told that if you do tell me something bad will happen, I promise you, you can come tell me and we will handle whatever the bad thing is someone says is going to happen. That's right? really good. You know, preparing them for conversations that could arise right. when I'm not there, right? right. Um, you know, we raised six children, four boys and two girls. Uh, one of the comments one of the people in our church mentioned to us after they were all older, that, you know, uh, one thing we realized about your family that we really appreciate is your boys are all boy and your girls are all girl, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I never reflected on my raising them as a parent that way. But we were very thankful to be that way. And I was never really directly involved with anything about child trafficking when I was raising my children as a parent and never heard the stories that I now hear that I'm older uh, as a grandparent. Uh, we have 15 grandchildren and 11 or uh, four of them are in heaven already because they were miscarriages. We still count them as grandchildren yeah. and uh, four walking on the earth. And they're all beautiful kids. I mean, you know very, very attractive toe heads, you know, and they're, they're gorgeous looking kids. Um, and I'm much more aware of potential problems with my grandchildren as yeah. a grandparent than I yes. ever was aware of my children as a parent. Now, thank God, I don't think anything ever happened with my children that I am aware of and they're right. being raised in the interaction with them. And, and particularly since you had shared that a lot of uh, child abuse actually comes from extended families. Yes. And I knew the scripture on that was actually, uh, and where the enemy was very much of a legalist, he says, sins will pass from the third or fourth generation, except for two sins. And they both have to do with family. The two sins that will go for 10 generations are incest. Mm. And the second one is being born out of wedlock. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the enemy knows that. So the enemy knows there are familial spirits yes. that go with families, and they yep. extend down for generations. And he would have a a, a call, you could, or a, a claim. I was a better word, a legal claim against 
a child for 10 generations if yeah. there was incest involved. And yet you've described to me that a lot of these instances of child abuse comes out of intrafamilial or inter or intrafamilial situations. Would you just share with our audience some of that information? Yeah, you know, and I, I want to share something along with that as well, because, you know, often our, there are parents that ask us, well, what do you, how do you protect your kids from someone that's so close to them? Right. It really comes back to, and this is, again, another one of those things that, that I was not doing until I entered into this field and um, place of understanding. You know, I'm, I was really bad about being around family at Christmas and, and making my kids hug everybody, right? Like, oh, go give Aunt Sally a hug and, you know, Uncle Jim a hug, right? And, and not, and if my youngest one was in a, a funk and didn't want to <laughs> hug anybody, I was still like, look, don't just don't be mean. Go give them a hug, you know. Yeah. And what you don't realize in those moments is you are telling your child that if they feel any kind of weird feeling, and not to say any of these people were bad people. No one in my family has abused my children. Praise the Lord and thank you, Jesus. You know, mm -hmm. but but what I did is I created in their mind, a place that says, okay, well, whether I want to do this or not, it's what I have to do, yeah. you know, and they start to lose body autonomy. And that's, that's concerning, right? If they don't want to give somebody a hug and they're not feeling it, don't make them hug uncle Jim and don't make them kiss aunt Sally on the, on the cheek. You know, like we have to, we have to be able to respect those boundaries for our children. If we want them to respect their own boundaries later on when it comes to their body. You know, uh -huh. and that starts really early on. Uh -huh. And and I'm guilty. I am guilty as charged for being like, hey, you're going to make you're going to make Uncle Jim feel bad. You know, sure, like, we want the children to be affectionate. Right. And our, we want our children to be accepted and to accept other people. And yes. affections is one of the way you express that. Absolutely. Um, and there's a healthiness to affection, which is the good side of it. Um, however, as as you are very keenly aware when does that trip over into sexuality? When does that trip over into things that are not appropriate, right? And it and, does. And that's scary, right? It, it, yeah. And nowadays, even sooner, you know, like quicker than what it was when we when I was growing up, right? Mm -hmm. um, that sexuality piece is just like, it's culminating in every area of their life, whether it be their, what they watch on TV or what they see at school or, you know, it's so... We have to be aware of that and preparing them early on. And with familial trafficking being such a, a common type of trafficking, mm -hmm. um, you know, and the reason for that is it's access, right? Sure. What does a bad guy need in order to do a bad thing? He needs access. Sure. Right? What does a bank robber need to a bank? Access. Right. Same thing here. A pedophile or someone that intends harm for children only needs, only requires access. Yep. So these are, these are very important things. I think our audience uh, will be appreciating the information that we're providing to them. And more than that, the knowledge we're providing to them and the wisdom that we're providing to them, which goes beyond knowledge or goes beyond information. We'll be back in a moment with Whitney Miller. Whitney Miller with Lantern Rescue. And she... During the break, she shared with me that she has something very special to reveal to our audience about something that's coming up, upcoming with Lantern Rescue. So yeah. uh, what do you share with our audience, what you have Absolutely. on your mind? 
Yeah, so Tom, um, I'm really excited about this particular event. We decided to put together a 5K rescue run um, event that is actually going to happen local to North Carolina. It's going to be in Asheboro, North Carolina, August 19th. Um, downtown, it starts at 9 a.m. Uh, really, this event is more than just a, a run. Um, it's two things. One, you know, with the awareness of the movie that's just recently come out, The Sound of Freedom, um, we recognize there's this great awareness towards trafficking right now. But awareness isn't what saves people, right? Action does. And so part of us in, in putting in action a way for people to, to get involved, we wanted to host this 5K rescue run. And so all of the proceeds from this rescue run do go back to Lantern Rescue and they go straight back into the field to rescue um, victims of human trafficking and, and persecution and, um, and displacement. So that will be um, a key piece of it. But the really neat thing about this event is it's a community event. And so we have invited and asked different organizations within our community that are also nonprofits, things like our Family Crisis Center, the um, Randolph Pregnancy Center, or Your Choice is Randolph now, um, a couple of other different organizations that really also see these shifts in movement and trafficking and child abuse. They see it, they're on the front lines as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so we wanted to make sure we had a rally of community support so that people see there are different ways and avenues that you can become involved in this fight. Um, and we wanna give them a place to come and ask questions. Right. So when they have those questions about trafficking, about, um, you know, CSAM or child sexual abuse material, sextortion, all of those things, there's one local central place that they get to come to August 19th in downtown Asheboro at Bicentennial Park to learn more about all of those things. How we will they get in touch with you? Is there yeah, a website? There is. So they can go to lanternrescue.org backslash rescue run. We also have opened up an opportunity for business to come businesses to come in as sponsors. So information about sponsorship is on there as well, um, which is a really neat opportunity for businesses just to say, hey, look, I'm behind you in this fight. Right. Um, I recognize that this is an issue and our business stands with the with the movement of fighting this battle. So I would like I would love to join you. But if I ran 5K, you'd have to rescue me. Well, I plan to walk Bring in the, the stature. <laughs> we'll get a side by side for you, you know, just come pick yeah. you up. And <laughs> so uh, continue on our, our discussion about giving people wisdom uh, about how to protect their children mm -hmm. from child trafficking. One of the things that disturbs me a lot that I've been reading about has been this process, oftentimes in the public schools or any school for that matter, where they're they're trying to groom children. And, and trying to, uh, in the theater of the mind, they're trying to program children into uh, thinking that uh, the process of uh, being abused would be actually uh, invited or acceptable. And this grooming process is setting them up mm -hmm. to be abused. So I know you've been deeply involved with that. So share with our audience, how can uh, parents protect their children from this grooming process that's going on even by the institutions that we usually trust, like our government and schools. Yeah, you know, that's a really, that's a hard one these days because we we hand our kids over to the school system from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. every day. And if they've got after-school activities, it goes even further into the day. So the majority of their time awake is spent in a classroom setting. And so um, we can't control all the things that they are um, 
you know, exposed to, but you can show up to your local school board meetings. You can voice your opinion in those places. You know, you can take a stand in that way. And I think that's an important thing that if, if more of us would rally around that idea and taking a stand, um, I think we would see some initiatives and movements in that. I was fortunate enough to work in a school system that, um, you know, it was a public school system, but our, our agenda is not the same as so many other public school systems are. Um, I'm grateful for that. We were definitely on the, on the good side of it. Um, but that doesn't, that, that's definitely not the case everywhere. And you are right. There is this, it's coming from all sides. It's schools, it's technology, it's social media, but it's a fight for their identity, right? Mm-hmm. And we see that. And there is the fight for their identity looks a lot like I accept you as you are. You know, and that's funny because the Lord didn't accept us as we, he may have accepted the initial as we are, but it was with the cultivation of change coming because we had accepted his son. Right. And so I think that's a falsified idea that the enemy has created that um, I can accept you in your sinfulness and you can stay there. The Lord didn't, that wasn't how that worked. Right. Jesus came so that we wouldn't have to stay there, but we could come to him in it and change would occur. Well, a child really doesn't know who that true identity is. No. And they can only find that true identity from God the Father. Yes. That's where it comes from. Yep. And so when Jesus connects us with God the Father, we, we get to clarify what our, who we are. Mm-hmm. And who we are is really defined by who God says we are. Amen. We've got to find out who he is. Who he is sets the table for who we find out who we are. Now, when the false part of it starts with, we accept who we are, which is the false us. Mm-hmm. It's not really who we are. Yeah. We're, we're being told by other people who we are. Or we have some thoughts. This is why I'm really, this turns my stomach again about the transgender movement where, where young girls are being taught that they're boys and young boys are taught that they're girls. You know, And it's, it's, you can't change a person's gender to yeah. start with. Yeah. And the changing of the gender is just part of the process of changing their identity. Yep. And That's trying exactly. to change their identity and trying to change, stop that connection going on between a person and, and God the Father who mm-hmm. created them. Yeah. Our creator, God our Father created us. He knows who we are intimately. Every atom of our being is right. something that he knows exists as, as we really on how he truly made us. And we need to discover who that is. And we can't find that out from people telling us that it is. Yeah. So, Unless God's inspiring them to tell us who he is, but yeah. it really comes out of his heart and, uh, and describing what, what that is. Uh, so this aspect of grooming, you said that um, in your particular county, I guess in this public school system that you were a teacher, mm-hmm. it was not that way. Uh, I, my grandchildren are in Mecklenburg County, mm-hmm. and um, Mecklenburg County tends to be a lot more, if I might use the word, liberal. Yeah. And a lot more woke than some of the other counties in uh, in North Carolina and around the country. And so uh, how, do, how does one go, how does a parent understand mm-hmm. what is being taught, even if you attended a school board meeting? I remember right. coming out of uh, Northern Virginia, we had uh, parents in Leesburg, Virginia, be upset about critical race theory, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the FBI uh, and the and the Biden administration sends down this edict that says we, these parents are terrorists. And there was a whole big hoopla about that. Um, 
because there's another angle there that the government is trying to take away parents' God-given rights, God-given responsibility over their own children. And they're trying to say, well, you don't really... They're trying to get the children, the responsibility for raising the children moved from the parents to the government. Government yeah. schools, public schools become government schools. They're being propagandized. How do you stop that? How do, how do you find out what they're doing, actually? You can attend a school board meeting, but I don't think they're going to tell you in the school board meeting what they're actually going to teach your kids. So, you know, you brought up an interesting point, and I'm going to, um, again, I'm going to step on some toes with this one, Tom. Um, you know, I think, I think um, personally, as a teacher in the public school system for seven years, and acknowledging how the involvement of parents in their children's lives, I'm just going to say as parents, we have become lazy in so many ways. We, I would guarantee that most parents probably go home, pick up their phone and just zone out for a little while instead of spending time speaking with their children. I would guarantee that when they see um, maybe a grade that doesn't look great on their child's report card or interims, that they don't reach out and ask questions, that they take whatever answer that their child gives them in most cases, because it requires work to be a parent. And, you know, we live in a world that we work really hard for the world's success, right? But when you have been given the job of parenting a child, that that overrules your job in anything else, right? Mm -hmm. Aside from being a husband, wife, in your relationship with the Lord, right? There's, again, a hierarchy that exists there. So just as a parent alone, I can tell you that there are not many parents asking many questions, Um and I'm thankful for the ones that do. And now my, my teachers are going to get mad at me for this one, especially if you're a teacher that doesn't lesson plan in advance. But as a parent, you can ask for the curriculum that is being taught to your child. You can ask for that curriculum. Sure. And in North Carolina, those are state curriculums. So you can request them from the state. You can request them from the school. Your teachers can print off the state set curriculum from you know, from online and send it home with your child if you request it. Absolutely. And it is a walkthrough of a detailed walkthrough of what pretty much exactly what they're being taught. Now, what you cannot account for is the teacher, right? And the teachers, the teacher's idea or concepts that they, they bring into the mix. And, you know, honestly, I'm as guilty as any of them. I was, a, I'm a teacher that loves the Lord right? I was a teacher that loves the Lord. And I sat in that room and I taught business and marketing. And when I had the opportunity to talk about public speaking, I talked about Paul being the greatest public speaker of all time, right? Because he knew his audience. So I took that opportunity to share that. Now, take it for what you will, right? But so those, those teachers do have influence. So I would say, even if your child is in high school, go meet your teachers, go sure. meet your kids' teachers, Take the time to get to know them, right? We all have yep. Facebook. I mean, you, you can check them out on Facebook, <laughs> you know. But well, Growing up myself, I never wanted to be a teacher. Growing up, I wanted to be a businessman. <laughs> I want to make a lot of money. And I didn't have a very high respect for teachers. But now that I've grown up and had work and I had a company and retired, and so on, I look back and said, I really think I missed mm -hmm. the boat on that. I said the most important people we have in the country uh, yes. jobs of teachers. And now I want to be more of a teacher because I know it's in the heart of God to protect, to provide, mm -hmm. and to mentor, to teach. I'm extremely interested in, in teaching uh, my grandchildren. I'm extremely interested. When I go babysit them, it's not just to 
babies and watch them over is actually to teach them as much opportunity as I can through books, through podcasts, and through shows like this. I really like to be able to communicate the love that God has for them, and they're really God's children I want to teach them. Thank you for spending this time with us. Thank you.